Welcome to episode 93 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Eric and Shelly. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Eric and Shelly, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Do you sometimes feel responsible for the whole world? Would other people be happy if they would just do things your way? Today, I'm going to talk about how I am not God. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of I am not God. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer and I'm your solo host today. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be the discussion of this topic, I Am Not God. Following a short break, I'll talk a little bit about my life in recovery, about how I practice the principles of this program in all my affairs. And I'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. We have a very short reading today. This is from page 62 of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. First of all, we had to quit playing God. And although, although that reading applies to alcoholics and is in the middle of uh, a section saying, so our troubles we think are basically of our own making, they arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. I feel like those words also definitely applied to me when I came into Al-Anon. The pain that brought me to Al-Anon the pain that, that finally broke through my denial saying that I didn't need help, that pain came from my attempts to play God in my attempts to control uh, my loved one's alcoholism, to control my loved one's drinking, and that was a power I did not have. I, I, thought I, I thought I should have it, I thought I must have it, but I did not have it. And so the continued failure of, of my attempts to, to control brought me to this program in the first place. And so, um, I don't know, is that self-will run riot? It might, I think it sort of sounds like it is. And, and the solution for me was, as the reading says, to stop playing God. So what, what do I mean when I say I'm not God? And, and I thought about this and I came with several different um, aspects and the first one uh, I, I mentioned before uh, is that I do not have the power to control or to, in particular, I do not have the power to change other people. I hardly even have the power to change myself. Uh, you know, I was at a meeting tonight and one of the, uh, one of the members talked about uh, the way she says the serenity prayer. She says, God grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change the courage to change the people I can and the wisdom to know that those people are me. In other words, the only, the only person that I have a chance of changing is myself and I cannot change other people. I cannot take that power 
on myself because it's not mine to have. It's not, it's not something I can, I, I can pretend to take it. I can want to take it. I can try to take it, but it's not my power. And so that's one of the ways in which I'm not God. And that was the big one for me when I came in was this, this trying to control the people around me. Um, a, a, a similar part of that, uh, a similar aspect to that is that I don't know what is best for other people. I don't know what is best for you. I barely know what is best for me. Uh, and, but I believe that I know what is, what is right for you. If you would only do things my way, things would just work out. Uh, this is this is a phrase that I've heard said and I have said uh, in meetings. I think I know exactly what you need to do to solve your problems and and for your life to to turn out well. You you would be happy if you would just do things my way. We'd all be happy if we would just do things my way. Uh, that is such bullcrap. But it is something that that I certainly believed. It is something that my brain still tells me. That when I see you, you express to me that you have a problem, something's going on in your life, and, and immediately the solution pops into my head. That if you would just do that, everything would be great. I know now that that is not true. That that is my, my ego running rampant. Um, my, I don't have that power to know what you need to do to fix things. And, you know, the program taught me that. And I, I heard that very early coming into the program that we don't give advice because we don't know uh, what is the best thing for you in your situation. And that is so freeing. That is so freeing. Maybe I'll talk about that again a little later. The third aspect of I am not God is that things outside of, as we say, outside of my hula hoop are not my responsibility. And and if you haven't heard that expression, that hula hoop, I've heard this expressed in a number of different ways, but the basic idea is uh, envision uh, a hula hoop, a, a hoop a, few, a couple of feet or a meter in diameter, uh, and you're standing in the middle of it. And everything inside that hoop is yours is your responsibility everything outside of that hoop is not your responsibility in particular all of the people who are outside that hoop which is everybody else are not your responsibility to fix they're not your responsibility uh, to make right they're not your responsibility to take care of unless they ask for it of course and you accept that request and I will accept, obviously, babies and very young children from this because uh, we do have a responsibility to, to those people who are not able to take care of themselves. But for people who are able to do things for themselves, who are able to think for themselves, um, I'm being arrogant and selfish if I try to take over their responsibilities and do them. And this is this is maybe easier to see with... Um, you know, people in their personal lives, but this is also true uh, in in my work situation. And I, I've talked before on the podcast about how I would drop my own work to pick up somebody else's work because 
Again, here we go. I knew I could do it better. Bullcrap. Okay? Uh, I'm not God. I'm not, you know, the ultimate employee. I'm not the ultimate worker. Uh, I am a limited human being. And most of the time, it's as much as I can do, maybe more than I can do to take care of my own stuff. And I should not be trying to take care of your stuff, too. So these are ways in which I try to play God. Uh, and if you turn them around, there are ways in which I am not God. Why would, why would I think I am? You know, why would I think that it's my responsibility to, you know, in the extreme, to run the universe? Why would I think that it's my responsibility to fix things for you? Why would I think that I have to fix you? Why would I think that I can fix you? You know, what, what, what brings me there? And I mean, that's a damn good question. I don't really know what, you know, if there's an answer, uh, I know that I know some factors. I know that um, the society in which I grew up, this uh, American uh, culture tells me that uh, as a man, as a father, as the the breadwinner, I mean, I, I was born in the 50s, and so gender roles were much more strictly defined back then. And I learned this thing that the man is supposed to take care of things, the man is supposed to fix things, the, um, and that it's my responsibility to do that, and that I am supposed to have the ability to do that. Uh, you know, I had the uh, the privilege of growing up in a house with a, a father who was very accomplished at, at many different things. And, and I saw that and I learned that. And the, the message that I got was that I should be able to do anything because, you know, clearly he could do anything, at least from my perspective as a child. Uh, and, you know, that's a very um, inspiring, uh, enabling in the good sense of the word, enabling message that, yes, we, we are competent. We can do things. Uh, th where the message goes wrong is in asserting that because we can do a lot of things, that we can do anything, and that it is our responsibility to do anything. Where, if you look at it, Realistically, if I look at it realistically, I mean, there are clearly things I cannot do. Uh, I cannot lift a, a one-ton boulder. Okay? I don't know how to, have not been trained in how to fly an airplane. Uh, I could probably learn to do that, uh, but I can't do it right now. Um, I can't fix cancer. I can't fix somebody's depression. There are things that maybe I can do to support somebody who has cancer or depression. So why do I think that it's my responsibility to fix people? Um, you know, that I, I don't really know. I mean, this has been been something that has been a theme uh, in my life 
pretty much as far back as I can remember how I thought about things. The earliest incident that I can recall distinctly and clearly where I felt I needed to take responsibility for something that was not mine to do. Um, but I had this very strong feeling that it, that it was, uh, I had, a. I don't know if, I don't know if I'd even call her a girlfriend. I had a friend in college. We dated some, um, and, uh, I think this was my freshman year in college and she came back from Christmas break and, and, uh, told me that she had been date raped. That was not the term we used back then, but that's, that's what we'd call it now. And I immediately, and I don't think I said this to her, which is amazing. I think I, I, I had the presence of mind to at least keep it in my own head, but I immediately started thinking about all the ways in which I could help fix the situation, um, whatever, you know, uh, and, and of course the thing that I was thinking about was, well, oh my God, what if she gets pregnant? Uh, you know, she's going to have to drop out of school and how can we fix this? And what can I do to, to fix it? And, you know, she hadn't asked me for help. Uh, I didn't know whether she needed help, but, but my first thought was, how am I going to fix this situation for her? How arrogant is that? But I thought of it as being loving and helpful. And, you know, that trend of thought uh, continued. And my first wife, uh, when I got to know her, she was in depression. Uh, and I think, I don't recall having this thought explicitly, but I'm, I'm looking at my life as it has unfolded, I believe, that I felt that I could help fix her. Here was somebody I could help. Did she ask for my help? No. Did I know how to give that help? No. But that was my thought. I can fix this for her. And my current wife, again, uh, at the time I first got to know her, I had no concept that, and neither did she have any concept that she was alcoholic, uh, that the expression of her alcoholism developed slowly over the years until uh, suddenly suddenly we we noticed that we were in a pot of boiling water. It had been getting warmer and warmer and warmer, and, and all of a sudden, there it was. Things were unmanageable. Um, again, you know, she's my wife. I married her in sickness and in health and all that stuff, and must be my job to fix it. Sure didn't work. Everything I tried did not work. Uh, and finally, finally I came to Al-Anon. And what I heard, what I heard that got me to Al-Anon was, I didn't cause it, I couldn't cure it, and I couldn't control it. Those three C's. Those three C's, when I heard them and I understood them for that in that moment, took this huge weight of something I couldn't do off of me. You know, I was not God. I could not fix her alcoholism. 
and I think you can see through through those stories where I acted as if I had the power of God, at least in in some respects, that I could fix these things, that I could change these things, these people, and that it was my job to do so. Um, it was not my job, and it was not something I was capable of, but I thought it was. You know, I still struggle occasionally from time to time with, with wanting to be God, some in little ways and some in bigger ways. Uh, I still have this urge to fix people. I remember sitting in an al meeting a few years ago, and several people were talking about struggles they were having in their life. And probably they were talking about how, in many cases, the Al-Anon program was helping them to uh, get through those struggles, to resolve them, to or to stay serene despite having the struggle. What I heard, what I felt, was, oh, these poor hurting people, I should help them. That's what I felt. And so when it came my turn to share... <laughs> I said, I know I belong here because I want to fix things for every single one of you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for making it clear to me that this is something that I can't do and that I don't need to do and that it's not my job. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Why am I talking about this today? I'm talking about this today and I actually wrote this wrote this episode a little over a week ago. It's it's Sunday, uh, Monday, six days ago. Um, my wife went in for elective surgery that is going to make significant changes in the way she lives her life, uh, and is is definitely going to make some changes in the way I live my life uh, because of the way that it will change her life. Um, and she is doing this for uh, good reasons. I understand why she's doing it. I also don't believe that I would ever do the same myself. And I struggle with this. I struggle with not disapproving. I struggle, which basically is the, I know what's best for you. Why don't you just do things my way feeling? I know you don't need to do this. I know you can get the result that you're looking for in another way that doesn't involve you know, cutting into your body and changing it in a permanent way. I don't know that. It's bullcrap. I don't know that. That's my self-will run rampant. Um, one of my children is currently struggling with gender identity, wondering whether they really feel in, in themselves, whether they feel that they are actually of the gender that is not what corresponds to their physical body. This is not something that has come on suddenly. It's something that's been, 
you know, developing in their, in their head, um, in their, in their body, in their soul, uh, for some years. Uh, and, uh, they're coming to this realization that this, this may be the case. Of course, I take that, I take that and I run with it and I see them having surgery. I see them being, um, you know, harassed, being uh, excluded because of who they are, who they, and how they choose um, to present themselves to the world. And, you know, this has not happened, but, but this is, this is my, where my brain takes me to, takes me to the, the logical or illogical, or I'm not going to say worst in this case, maybe most extreme, most extreme uh, endpoint. I don't know that's what's going to happen. And I need to let go of believing that that's what's going to happen. And that, and that if it happens, that it will be hard and that, that it will turn out badly because I don't know that. And it probably won't, Um, you know, and I know, I know a number of people who are, are going through this process or have gone through this process. And, you know, they're definitely happier now than they were before. You know, that helps with the fear. And, and this is a fear-based thing, right? This is a fear-based thing. My child is going to be hurt. I don't want my child to be hurt. There's fear. My wife is going to be hurt. My wife is going to not be able to, you know, live the live the the life that she needs to live after surgery. I don't know that. In fact, I I have all confidence that she will. After all, she stopped drinking. Uh, there are very few things that are harder than that. And uh, so there's fear and you know, my my inclination is to say no, don't do it. This is this is not a thing you want to do. I didn't say it. I never said it. I did express my concern. I did express that it was not a choice I would make. Um, so she had surgery on Monday. Uh, you know, that makes it very real. And now my actual job, as opposed to my imagined job, is not to fix her. My actual job is to support her in the ways that she asked me to support her. And right now she's needing a fair amount of support. Uh, you know, after major surgery, there's pain, there's weakness. Um, there's a very restricted diet right now. Uh, she was taking pain medication. She was unable to drive. Uh, so basically I had to do a lot of stuff for her and, um, and I did it from love. I did it knowing that I'm doing things when asked, as asked, that she cannot currently do for herself. Uh, I'm doing these things in support of a choice that I would rather she had not made. But she made it. And that choice was outside my hula hoop. I am not God. I cannot make that choice for her. Uh, sort of the, the last point on my outline here. How... Is it a relief when I remember that I am not anybody else's higher power? And I think 
I would start with that feeling of lightness I had when I heard those three C's. I could, I didn't cause it. I couldn't control it and I couldn't cure it. What a relief. What a relief. This is not my job. It's not my job because it's not in my power. And to know that it's not in my power and to feel that immense relief, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. Because I haven't been able to do this, but I thought I should. And that was so hard. And I don't have to. I'm not God. Not my power. Not my job. Also, when I stay inside my hula hoop and take care of the things that are mine, my life is better. Because I'm able to do those things that I need to do for myself when I'm not spending my time and my energy doing things that are not mine to do that are not supporting me. You know, this is true, as I I think I've said many times, this is true at work, where if I drop what I'm doing to help somebody else help somebody else do what they're doing, do what they're supposed to be doing, Sometimes even without being asked, often without, sometimes, sometimes, so somebody comes to me with um, a, a problem they're having, a difficulty, uh, something maybe they don't understand in in what they're working on. And they ask me something about it. I have a, I have a choice here. I can answer exactly what they asked me thus potentially empowering them to get their job done and to maybe get a new skill to learn something that will help them be more effective in their job in the future. Or I can take it over and I can fix it for them. I can solve it for them. And that has, that has two or three effects here. Uh, one, the obvious one, uh, I spend time doing something that's not mine instead of doing the things I need to do. The more subtle and and insidious effect is that I take away from the other person some of their dignity, some of their self-worth by in effect saying to them, oh, you can't do this, but I can. And therefore I will do it for you. And if somebody came to me and said, can you do this for me? Will you do this for me? Then I can make a different choice. I can say, yes, I will. Or, no, I don't have time. But if I just take it and do it without being asked, how does that make the other person feel? And if I just take it and do it, then the next time they run into the same difficulty, they're going to have to come back to me. Because... They still don't know how to do it. They haven't learned anything. Um, And, you know, as one of the more senior people at work, it is actually part of my job description to uh, mentor people and to teach new skills as needed. And 
when I take over their work, I'm not doing that part of my job. I'm not doing the part of my job, which is the get work done part. And I'm not doing the part of my job, which is mentor people and help them to learn to be better, better workers. Um, so when I remember that I'm not the person in charge, I'm not the, I'm not God and it's not my responsibility to do their work. Um, I ended up, I end up being more effective at my job and they end up being more effective at their job in the long run. You know, there are a lot of ills in my family, in my town, in the world that I don't like. You know, I don't like it that people go to bed hungry at night. I don't like it that, you know, my mother's health is deteriorating. I don't like it that she ha- walks bend over almost 90 degrees. I don't like it that her memory doesn't work the way it used to work. I can't fix those things. I can't fix them. It is not in my power to fix them. And if I spend my time wanting to fix them, wanting a different outcome, all that does is it takes away my serenity and it takes away my ability to enjoy what time I might have left with my mother. If I'm focusing on how can we fix this? Why is this? Why did this happen? You know, well, everybody dies. You know, it's going to happen. And I can't fix it. I can spend my time suffering. Reference back to the episode on pain and suffering. Um, Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Or I can let go of the things I can't do. I can't fix it. And recognize what I can do. And I think this is the big part about being not God. This is the big thing. If I recognize, if I let go of what I can't do, then I will recognize it'll be easier for me to recognize what I can do. And what I can do, you know, with my mother, I can spend time with her. I can talk to her. I can, we can reminisce about the things she does remember. Uh, We can enjoy a beautiful day together. You know, she's, she's very much in the moment now. Uh, If I can be in the moment instead of living in my fear of the future or my anger at the past, we both have a better day. We'll both have a better time. Uh, and, and I will have something meaningful from that day to remember her by. So I'm not God and my life is so much better because I'm not. After a short break, I'll continue with uh, the My Life in Recovery sec- section of the podcast where I talk about what's happening in my meetings, and how I'm applying these principles in my life today. Picked out some music to go with this episode, the first uh, musical selection, and you can listen to this on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 93. It's by Neil Young. The song is called Change Your Mind. And I'm going to read some lyrics and then uh, talk a little bit. When you're confused and the world has got you down... When you feel used and you just can't play the clown, protecting you from this must be the one you love, must be the one whose magic touch can change your mind. And 
I don't know if Neil Young meant it that way, but I see God in those lyrics. I see, I'm confused, the world's got me down, I'm used and I can't play the clown. When I'm trying to do things that are not mine to do, when I'm trying to play God, and that in fact, when I let God into my life, um, then my mind can change. And I don't have to, um, you know, suffer from those things that I can't do. In this section of the podcast, I'll talk about my life in recovery, what's happening in my meetings and in my life this week. I actually got a couple of weeks here because of my wife's surgery last week and basically that taken up uh, most of my time uh, for the last week, plus getting sick. Yeah, I got sick again. Stupid cold. Obviously, I was not doing as good a job taking care of myself as I thought I was. Uh, so Friday, Friday a week ago, a little over a week ago, I came home from work and my nose was all stuffy and I said, you know what, I think I'm getting a cold. And sure enough, Saturday morning, there it was, full blown. Uh, and so I spent a good part of Saturday and Sunday in bed, uh, thus not able to do podcast. Uh, I think I... I know I made it to my Saturday morning meeting because I had signed up to uh, to do the opening at the meeting. And I had, well, I got a commitment, got to be there. So I went, I was sucking on my uh, throat lozenge, my, my, my Ricola's like mad and uh, not holding hands, not coughing or sneezing on anybody. Hopefully nobody else got the cold. I was doing my best to not transmit it. And maybe I shouldn't have been there, but I was. Um, and uh, that meeting was uh, step nine about making amends. And what I thought about and what I shared about was um, how there are a couple of people in my life that I keep finding myself expecting them to make amends to me because, hey, they're in the program and they hurt me. And how that's, that's kind of playing God again, isn't it? it? It doesn't help me to expect that. And uh, what what uh, would be helpful is uh, to find forgiveness because if I can find forgiveness, if I can let go of the resentment that I'm clearly holding, um, then I don't need to expect, want, wait for something that may never happen, which is amends from those people. So that was, um, you know, that was a good um, reflection uh, for me. And uh, then there was, um, you know, the surgery, which um, I think I talked enough about during the episode that, uh, you know, my, my challenge and the way that I'm applying my program is in understanding that, you know, it's her choice and that there are uh, consequences of the choice. There are things that, that need to happen. Uh, and that some of those are mine to do, uh, and that I can I can do them at, with love in my heart rather than with resentment or fear. Went to a meeting tonight. Uh, topic uh, topic came out of the uh, Courage to Change reading for November second 
about step two and in particular about the uh, the interesting interpretation of step two of the first three words, which is that first I came, I came to the program. And then as I continued to come, I came to, I started to wake up. And that then as I, as I started to listen, as I, as I started to bring the program into my life, I came to believe. Um, I came to believe that there is a power greater than me. There are many powers greater than me. But more importantly, that there is a power greater than me that can restore me to sanity. And, and I know I've talked about that before in the podcast. It was a, it was a very good meeting, a lot of reflection on that uh, around the table. Yeah, so that was that was my last couple of weeks. Actually, um, I hope to be back on a more regular schedule uh, with the podcast uh, after that uh, expected interruption by the surgery. Uh, upcoming topics: we've got uh, uh, caretaking, we've got uh, tradition eleven, um, which is the one about uh, remaining anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. And uh, we'll be doing that with Ruth uh, probably in a couple of weeks. Uh, I've got a trip next weekend that uh, means that it would really not be possible for me to uh, collaborate with Ruth uh, since she's in a time zone several hours earlier than me. Uh, The only time we can realistically do it is on the weekend. And so I'm probably going to have to put that off for at least the next weekend or maybe the weekend after that. Uh, So... uh, if you've uh, got thoughts on these topics, uh, you got questions about these topics, uh, join the conversation, please. Leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions. How do you do that? Well, we've got a number of different ways to, uh, to contact us to join the conversation to give us feedback. You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734 707 8795. You can call right now because, hey, it's a podcast. This is not live. You can, you know, pause it and call. It's 734-707-8795. If uh, you're outside the U.S. or if you prefer to just call from your computer, we do have a voicemail button on the website. Uh, You can just use the microphone in your computer to uh, leave a voice message. And if you don't want to use your voice, you can send email, and that address is feedback at com. That's feedback at com. And if you want more information about The Recovery Show, if you want to see the notes for this episode, if you want the links to the music that I'm talking about in this episode, just go on over to therecoveryshow.com, and you'll find it all there. If you want to refer your friends to The Recovery Show, send them to therecoveryshow.com. And as you've noticed over the last few weeks, if if you're listening regularly, uh, you can actually join the conversation uh, in a big way by being a guest host on The Recovery Show. If you're interested, email feedback at therecoveryshow.com. There's that address again. So, uh, the second musical selection that I picked for this, uh, this episode before we dive into the mailbag uh, is Make You Feel My Love by Adele. And this song is sort of 
on the opposite side of of the one above the first one, which is that uh, she's talking about how she's going to make the other person feel her love. She's going to make them feel her love, and to me, that sounds like playing God. Although I certainly have felt that way myself, I'm going to make you feel how much I love you. I can't make you feel anything. Here's some lyrics: When the rain is blowing in your face. And the whole world is on your case. I could offer you a warm embrace to make you feel my love. We had a little bit of uh, email this uh, this week. Got an email from Shelley. Says, my son is an active alcoholic and drug addict. I've been in the eye of his storm for at least eight years. I've been so consumed by his constant drama that I never thought of helping myself until I hit rock bottom. Long story short, I ran into someone I had not seen in four years, and it turns out her son had become an addict as well. She told me about Al-Anon. I thought that was for alcoholics. She then told me about the podcast, The Recovery Show. It has changed my life. I learned what Alanon was through you guys and gained the courage to go to my first meeting, which I ran out of crying like a lunatic. I went back the following week and shared my first night. I would like it if you could send me the episodes with guests that have active alcoholics or addicts in their lives. I need all the help I can get. Thank you all, Shelley. I wrote back to Shelley with some uh, suggestions of episodes that uh, have guests who uh, maybe currently living with active alcoholism or addiction or had lived with active alcoholism or addiction while they were in the program. And among those, uh, episode 70, living with alcoholism or addiction. That one's pretty straightforward. Uh, episode 65, Hope, uh, had a, a guest whose uh, child was uh, in still in addiction or had just I think just gone into recovery at the time um, that uh, she shared that with us. Um, episode 54 on family of our dreams and how we won't necessarily have that family uh, has some talks about some, uh, some living with addiction. Episode 52, my story. Definitely there's some in there. Um, episode 78, stay or go, uh, where several of us talked about our decisions to, either stay in a relationship with active alcoholic or addict or to leave uh, that person. Uh, episodes 58 and 59 about relapse, about our experience of being in a relationship with somebody uh, when they relapsed and how uh, the program helped us uh, to, uh, to get through that, to, uh, to, ke- to maybe keep our serenity. Uh, and then there's uh, episode 22 where we, uh, uh, talked with some parents of uh, whose children are, are alcoholics or addicts. And um, I think at the time of recording, uh, all of those children were in recovery, although that was not necessarily the case before uh, and is not, not necessarily the case now for at least some of those parents. Uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully Shelly can find uh, some, some, uh, experience something she can relate to in those episodes and there there are others as well those are the ones that that came to to my mind as i looked through our past episodes 
got an email from Bev with some suggestions for how I can improve the recovery show. And I want to thank you, Bev, for that feedback uh, and know that I will be looking at how I can apply your suggestions uh, to future shows. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses. They run about $60 a month. You can help support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a number of ways. First, we have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Eric and Shelley did. And thank you so much, Eric and Shelley, for your uh, generous contribution uh, in support of the show. Another way you can support us is by shopping at Amazon. Uh, we've got a link on the website. Uh, I think it's on just about every page. Uh, it says, donate by shopping. And if you click on that link and then buy things at Amazon, uh, we will get a, a commission on whatever you buy. Uh, and if you're if you're there, you might think about buying some recovery-related books. We have uh, a books page that has uh, a list of books that that have uh, recovery relation in some way. There's books for, that you can buy from Al-Anon. There's books you can buy from AA. There are um, memoirs about. Uh, alcoholism and addiction, either in the person writing the memoir or in a loved one, and uh, a number of other a number of other books. Uh, some books about the history of AA and Al-Anon. So uh, go check out the books page, and if you've got a, a book that you'd like to see listed there that you think other people would benefit from reading, definitely uh, let us know. And you know, most of what's there, I think, all that what's there right now is nonfiction, but. Um, Somebody recently asked me if, if uh, you know, fiction books would be appropriate. And I was like, yeah, if they, you know, if there's something that really, you know, talks about alcoholism, addiction, or recovery, um, I guess from a recovery perspective or from a, a real realistic perspective, um, yeah, I'd love to put them up there. Um, so, uh, so check out the books page. Uh, the other affiliate uh, program that, that we have a membership in is uh, with iTunes. Uh, I try to put links uh, with the music that uh, we talk about to both Amazon and to iTunes. If you want to go buy a song, we'll get a few cents. Uh, and every few cents, uh, you know, helps. So uh, speaking of songs, the third song selection is Holding On To You by Terrence Trent Darby. And again, you can listen to that at therecoveryshow.com slash 93. And uh, to me, this is this is a song about about letting go, and about how you gain when you let go. Uh, some lyrics here, but holding on to you means letting go of pain, means letting go of tears, means letting go of rain. Holding on to you means letting sorrows heal, means letting go of what's not real. Holding on to you, and understanding that I'm not God means letting go of things that are not mine to have, not mine to do, not mine to own, not my responsibility. And when I let go of those, then I find um, a new serenity. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. 
understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time.